0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Social Night. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, behind the host, Mike, alongside Joe Dandron, Alex McRae, and Sut McGee. And today we're going to be talking all about everything in the sports world, including The Last Dance, the wonderful sports documentary, documentary chronicling Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls. So guys, just to start off, I'd like to open it up. What did you guys think?
1: Well, I thought it was phenomenal. I really enjoyed the documentary. I watched the first five minutes uh, in a short little YouTube clip. I believe ESPN had had put that out earlier. So I kind of knew where the direction was going, especially with uh, the talk about GM Jerry Krause and everything. But I thought the dynamic between uh, the players and Krause was something that is really unique. I don't think we've Really, seen anything like it since? Because of how disastrously everything blew up in their faces after uh, the the '98 season.
0: Yeah, can, can we can we, all, can we all agree that Jerry Krause is the modern day Dave Gettleman? I saw that comparison on Twitter, and I think yeah. that's extremely accurate.
2: Well, it's I think accurate. I think the difference is, is that Jerry Krause is a two time Executive of the Year. And, I mean, and granted, I, you know, maybe got a little lucky drafting MJ, but, I mean, because people thought... He wasn't he,
1: the one that picked MJ, though.
2: Oh, that's true. He was not. And people thought, I will say this, people thought MJ was going to be good, but I don't think anybody saw it being, like, transcendent, best player in league history type conversations. And I think that Krauss, you know, was good at his job, but he obviously just, like, nobody liked him. I mean, you, it's like, you, especially working in like, a front office job, you you have to be able to get along with people, right? And... But that just like wasn't part of the gig for him. Like he was just like, "I don't care I'm going as long as we win, everything's fine." And eventually that just kind of did not work for him. You know, I think that's the big difference between him and you look at Getttoman for the Giants is you know, I mean they they won a ton with Kraus, and they won every year with Kraus. but then once everything blew up, obviously you get rid of guys like that it's not going to work. And I thought that he thought. I thought that how MJ and Scotty treated him because they talked about him being a nice guy, but it, it, but it really, it's just like, if you don't like, and how MJ and Scotty treated him, it was just kind of like, Oh, you know, you feel bad for the guy, but also it's just like, he thought that he was the reason they were winning, but it really wasn't. He was the greatest coach of all time in Phil Jackson. And then you also have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And that's why you're winning. You know? And I, I think that
3: like, what was crazy about the whole thing is how, how open Kraus was with, everything like people literally just asked him like is this last season like is it like just straight up asked him and he answered it like straight up and like that would just never happen with a GM today like they hide those things and how open he was is really kind of what cost him like his relationships
1: well yeah I think what Jerry Krause did especially during that last season really shaped the way front offices interact with the media today um, because you look at Jerry Krause, you look at how he said Phil Jackson, this is his last year, no matter what, no coach <laughs> will ever say that. Yeah, just team. because, yeah. yeah, just because they know how badly it can blow up in your face. I mean, Jerry Krause was a great executive. He's the one who decided to hire Phil Jackson. He's the one who decided to draft Scottie Pippen. He's the one – who signed Scottie Pippen to the contract, which Scottie Pippen shouldn't have signed, but that's besides the point. He still got the second best player in the league on a team friendly contract for seven years during his, his prime until he was what 32 years old. So Jerry Krause was a very smart GM in a sense of doing the technical duties where he fell apart was like what Joe said, the personal relationships outside of that, he was a phenomenal GM. I mean, he kept Michael Jordan happy for a majority of the time he was there and at least content enough to continue to play with the Bulls. So I I I I understand why people don't like Jerry Krause because of what he did afterwards with the rebuild, but I thought he was actually quite forward thinking when you have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all these other guys old. I mean, in their mid to late thirties, most of the, most of the core. So I, as, as a sports fan myself who likes to analyze front offices, it makes a lot of sense that he would want to move on from some of these guys, but he just went about it in the worst way possible.
2: Yeah. I think like, Oh, uh, go ahead, Joe. Well, I think that, you know, I mean, you look at MJ, I don't know, you know, his statistics I, and I did, he, and he retired I think after that season when they won their sixth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Once he comes back into the league, it's like you know what did MJ do after that? So I mean, there's really both sides of the coin there. I mean, but Phil Jackson, obviously, to me, like going into the season and saying, even if the guy wins 82 games after I think they won, they had won 72 the season before, the season before that. It's like even if they 96,
1: they won 72,
2: and if even if they win 82 games, I don't care. He's still gone. Like and it's so dumb. I know, and that's just like what's so amazing to me. But, Alex, you make a really good point talking about Krauss being forward-thinking. Like, that's, like, not – that is something that a lot of leagues do now. Like, they blow things up early because they're, like – you know, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of an example of that today. Um, you know, I mean, it's like how the Spurs drafted Kawhi. They, like, traded up to get Kawhi in, like, a top 15 pick, and that worked out so well for them, and it extended Whoa. that dynasty.
1: Yeah, no, Here, here's an example that I think actually works quite well. When the Indiana Pacers traded Paul George, they realized that that span of that that his timeline didn't align with the timeline of the team, so they traded him for Victor Oladipo and Demonis Zavonis, two guys who are significantly younger and both became quite good in their own right. I mean, both are All-Star quality players. So it turns out that Indiana actually made quite a good trade there. Larry Bird, uh, former '80s and '90s legend. Uh, was the GM who who executed that deal, I believe. And it's that same kind of mindset where you just want to get younger. You want to be able to align your team with a timeline of winning Mm -hmm. is the best
2: way I can think of. Yeah. And the problem was that after MJ left and they started being – the Bulls were bad, which they were for, you know, decades before MJ got there.
3: And decades after too.
2: Yeah. You know, no, yeah. I mean, up until they got Derrick Rose, really. I mean, like that was really the, I mean, like that's such a span. I don't know when Krause stopped being the GM, but it's just like, you know, you look at, I think he, dra- I think, the. I think he drafted Ben Gordon, who was rookie of the year. Um, you know, it's, to me, it's just like, I mean, you really hit on Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and MJ you really hit on those picks. But then it's yeah, just, those are
3: three. That's just ridiculous that he hit three of those, that level of talent, yeah. like how good that draft like class is.
2: Yeah, and Scottie Pippen's path is something just crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Talking about. But yeah, it definitely was like, man, you know, Kraus good at his job, but just like you said, Alex, not good with people at all.
3: Can we talk about can we talk about the jokes that MJ made towards
2: towards Krauss
3: and uh, like, the, like the pill jokes? Those were so funny. Gotta
0: lower the net. Oh, that's fun. And <laughs> <laughs> that poor short guy. As, as, a, as a short guy myself, I could relate to it on a spiritual level. Like it, it is a struggle. It is a struggle for very short people to try and touch the bottom of basketball nets. It is not easy. It is a
3: rough sled. Oh man. I mean I mean what what Kraus did is like something that is something that like every GM aspires to get is to get great players on team friendly deals and he did exactly that so I mean I don't hold that against him it's just you have to maintain relationships and and you have to keep your happy, players happy so that's what he was unable to do which eventually cost him the team and his, his job so
1: yeah I, Michael Jordan after winning the 97 I mean 96 97 championship made a great point where he said that they deserve to defend the title until they don't. Right. Yeah. Because they as long as they're still winning, there's no reason to go out and blow it up. But once you see drops in production, lacks of wins, that's when the rebuild has to start working. But I still I still credit Jerry Krause for wanting to be progressive and say, hey, these guys aren't going to be great forever. It's the same uh, philosophy I've had, say, with the Carolina Panthers signing Christian McCaffrey to a long-term deal, right? Oh. He's a great player. He's going to be great, but he doesn't align with the timeline of the Carolina Panthers at this point. So signing that contract only puts the franchise behind the eight ball in terms of trying to rebuild because they have that much cap saved up into that one player, and that's what Jerry Krause was and get out of it because like I said I mean like we've mentioned Scottie Pippen was on that long contract the 98 I mean the 97-98 season was the last year of that contract so he would have had to pay Scottie Pippen what he was actually worth and Scottie Pippen at that point the, the relationship had dissolved so much with trade rumors and all that yeah. so it, it, it it, it's tough but it man he just went <laughs> about it so horribly I can't get over it
3: no, like, I does he not, did he not have, like, an agent or something? Because seven years, like, you just know that that's just not good. Like, seven years is so long. I mean, now in the NBA, they don't do that long that length of contract. But, no. like, his agent must have been just ridiculously
2: dumb. Or well, he must have. Like. I, I, he got to say, he probably didn't have one. Cause at that point, I think he got – I think Pippen got drafted in 86, 87, out of Central Arkansas. And – you know, man, seven years, $18 million. Like think about that kind of contract for a player of Scottie Pippen's caliber. Cause he was already good when he signed yeah. that contract, which is like, that's just crazy to me. It's insane. I don't yeah. get how you sign. I, I What is that? I don't even know the math for that. I think it's like less than, I mean, seven years, 18. It's like less than one, one, it's like two one and half, a half. Yeah. Two, two and half, a half million a year. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, to me that is just so crazy. And I mean I, just, I mean
3: his, what made sense though was that he was trying to help his family out. Like that like the two having two family members in a wheelchair, he wanted like the long term like long longevity of it. That makes sense, but it's just like eventually you have to renegotiate at some point. Cuz like I understand you want to help out your dad who you had the stroke, you want to help out your brother,
2: but like it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think McRae is trying to put a picture up as his background, and for everybody it's, it's, it's
1: not working too well. Yeah, too
2: well. yeah, no visual aspect to this, sadly. Um, but yeah, well, and Stearns, what were your thoughts on the whole Crouch saying the Pippin thing too? That relationship, I was so surprised that Pippin like asked for a trade. Like, I did not know that that happened. That that was like big news back then. Obviously, it's different for us because we all grew up in the era way after this happened. So it's so much different for us to hear about it now but that's crazy to me that Scotty Pippen was like, yeah, I want out. It's so contrary to
0: what the modern NBA would be like, because if the moment that you hear that a future hall of famer is being lowballed by his GM, things are going to blow up on the internet. Things are going to blow up on Twitter. And not until now, I mean, you knew there were some cracks in the foundation with the relationship between Pippen, between Kraus, but not until now, I don't think you really got the scope of how bad it was. Because you have Pippen, who's tired of being lowballed, and you have Krauss, who really there was nothing that could have been done to dissuade him from where he wanted to go. You win five championships. You could have gone eighty two and zero, won every game in the playoffs, and won. And Jordan could have gotten the MVP, and you still would have been gone. And for me personally, just I don't know how you can possibly commit to something before the season's even done. Like how many coaches of Phil Jackson's caliber would be willing to stay on a one-year deal. Most of them, I think, would just say, screw it in today's NBA. You can't commit to me for more than one year. I've just given you five championships, and this is what you're going to do to me? I'll take my talent somewhere else because anybody in the NBA is going to be willing to pay a hefty price for my services. So I just think that it's really – I get both sides because, on one hand, Pippen was the one that signed that contract, but on the other hand, when, you, when you're paying Scottie Pippen the six most on the Bulls and he's 122nd in the NBA. And salary, after a while, you have to get what's yours. And you can't continue to lowball people and just refuse to renegotiate things or things like that are going to blow up. I mean, the, the, the divorce was inevitable. I mean, that's that's kind of my whole thoughts on the, my thoughts on the whole thing. And you knew that, Pippen after Pippen got uh, his broken foot and was out for the majority of that 97, 98 season, that regardless of what happened, Jordan probably was going to go with where Pippen went because it was a package deal between Phil Jackson, between MJ, between Pippen. As soon as one of them goes, you knew MJ wasn't going to stay for a rebuild, didn't have the energy, didn't have the pedigree, and he didn't want to. He had never lost in his life and he wasn't about to start.
1: Well, I will say this. I think – Michael Jordan saying Scottie Pippen was selfish for sitting out um, and, and having that foot surgery late in the off season. Uh, it, it's a little hypocritical, don't you think? Just because he sits there and he talks about how he took an 18 month hiatus to play basketball I and mean, to play baseball. Sorry. It's, it's kind of like buddy, this guy stayed on the team while you took a year off to hit 202 in the minor leagues while uh, this team still won 55 games without you. I mean, it's uh, the the hypocrisy of Michael Jordan, I think can't be understated in that sense.
3: And this is where like the documentary, I thought like the storytelling aspect with the little timeline thing, it was kind of crazy how they went from Scottie Pippen sitting out saying he's not going to mess up his summer. And then immediately fast forwards and like goes to Jordan, like hurting his foot. And then, he's like refuses to sit out and he just doesn't want to sit out at all with like another foot injury. I thought that was kind of crazy, like right back to back. And it made Jordan like look really, really good, even though, like you said, he said he, he did sit out too. So that was interesting
2: to me. Yeah. But I mean, even then it's like, I mean, the dude, and obviously there's circumstances around his retire, his early first retirement that, you know, I think that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, there is
1: there is a large conspiracy theory
3: out there. Yes, about hey, we, we yes. can touch
2: on that. We can touch on that. Um, but yeah, it, it, Pippen, how they kind of filmed that with like talking about Pippin, You know, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna f up my summer. You know, all of these other things. It, it to me, it was just like you know Jordan was because he was like that was selfish of Scott. and it was just like well what who are you to say you know. Also, they sound like total buddy. They sound like they're in a buddy cop movie when the two of them talk about each other. It's kind of funny, but. Um, it was just like, how can you say that after, like you said, Alex, like you leave, you go play baseball for whatever reasons, you know, obviously the passing of his father was a big, re- you know, what he said was the reason, you know, that there's all those conspiracies too. But yeah, I just, it was hard for me to believe that, you know, Michael Jordan's not being hypocritical at all in that sense. And I thought Scottie Pittman did what was right for him. I, th- I thought, Hey, that's fine. If he wants to do that. Cause I mean, what they still went on and won an NBA title you know at the end of the day obviously they couldn't they could have missed out on it but I mean they won in the end
1: yeah the people criticizing Scottie Pippen are probably the same ones who praised Kawhi Leonard for doing essentially the same thing when he he was with the Spurs his last year he didn't want to play he didn't want to play for the San Antonio Spurs. He felt like he was being disrespected by that organization. And he was tired of it. So what he did is after he had a devastating injury in the playoffs the year before, he just, even though the team doctors claimed he was healthy, he completely sat out he's like, I'm just not going to play. This is, this is not, I'm not putting on the Spurs uniform again. So yeah. I, I, I don't fault the players in that sense at all, just because, there there's often some reasons behind doing it that are larger than just basketball.
2: No, yeah, I mean I totally agree. Scotty Pippen also I want to talk about his path to the league and everything. Them talking about him playing at Central Arkansas. That was crazy. I like what? If it was like an NAIA school.
1: Yeah, yeah. No that's being
2: a manager too, that was crazy.
1: That that, that his that something that we likely won't see ever again um uh, you know a story like that is once in a lifetime to say yeah. the least just because and to be a
2: top 10 pick on top of like to be a top 10 pick after playing at NAIA school yeah like like, saw.
1: like you hear of stories like uh you know where guys sprout up during you know their sophomore or junior year in high school, where they were a middling like D three prospect, and then they turn into a you know a five star Kentucky somebody like Anthony Davis or something like that, where he had a huge growth spurt and he was able to hang on to his guard skills while becoming a big man, which creates a a player that you know is an Anthony Davis or Scottie Pippen type guy, but to hear that he. Had a five to six inch growth spurt in college, yeah. while being a manager at an NAIA school.
2: Talk about a late never boy. even
1: playing in an NCAA tournament. Never even playing against guys at North Carolina or Michigan State or Duke or anything like that. He never did that. But he walked right into the NBA and played dominant defense right away. I mean, his yeah. offensive game took a little bit to take off because, like they said, he was a little meek uh and not as strong going to the hoop as guys like Michael Jordan but he he eventually turned into one of the best defenders the NBA's ever seen so that that story is just insane to me
3: and i think i think the fact that he stayed like all the years there and didn't like like in to, today's time people would transfer up and try and get that exposure and stuff but he somehow still got the exposure from UCA and like was able to be one of the top picks which is just insane because like that's something that like Joe said it'll never happen again because people will just transfer up and try and get the more exposure than stay at that smaller school
1: yeah I thought another really interesting part is how they threw Bill Clinton in there like how did Bill Clinton know a guy from central Arkansas like I get it he's <laughs> he was the governor of Arkansas but at the time he was the president no no he was not the president of the United States at the time he was still the governor of Arkansas <laughs> but it just ridiculous to me that he was able to get that kind of exposure from somebody like Bill Clinton. It was bizarre.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, that was crazy to me. It was just like, well, and, and you look at this, Rodman is another good example of this, and being a guy who was touted at a junior college in, like, a lower-level division. But even then, Rodman was not drafted in the first round, I don't think. To me, being a top five pick, like having the incre this is Kraus being a very good GM and also their scouting. Their scouting played a big role in this. But to just be like, wow, this kid, this guy, like if he puts on a weight, could be a legit NBA player, which being six eight and Scottie Pippen's wingspan is probably what, like six eleven. I don't know for sure. But it's definitely long, it's definitely longer than six Because the dude, you know, I mean that just bodes well playing defense, but his arms are ma- are massive. But you know, to have, like, the wherewithal to be, like, wow, this guy from UCA can really be something. And, like, he just fit in so perfectly with Jordan because he could play, he can handle the rock, and he's big enough to play forward. He can guard any position. You know, like, that's just, like, so – that was such a chess move on Krause's part to draft him and just hope he works out, you know. And like you said with the scouting
3: department, like, the film that they had back in this time is definitely not even close to what they have today. Like, they can't just straight up, like, pull every clip from every game and like watch it so you really have to take like a, a blind shot in the dark and they took it with him and it worked out really well especially with i mean uca is not a big school like they said but like taking that small shot i mean it, it worked out amazing for that GM, so
1: yeah joe to your point both scotty pippen and dennis rodman at their respective universities were the only players and still are to this day that have ever been drafted into the nba yeah, I mean that
2: says NBA. so. That says so much about that era too, that time, and you know, basketball where players could be drafted from the. I mean, like, I mean, when was the last time you saw a guy get drafted that high from a, you know, that level of a university and be drafted like very high? Like, I don't think there's ever been anything since Pippen that high of someone from that low level division.
1: Uh, no, I, I, I don't. I can't think of anything like that. I mean. You know people, people were amazed that John Morant from Murray State went as high as he did last year, uh, but you don't see talents like that that often.
0: No, no. Oh, and you know, you never will again. You never will again. I, that was a bygone era of basketball. That, that's. Oh, I mean, you're of course you're going to get the blue blood, the blue blood prospects from Kentucky, from MSU, from UCLA, so on and so forth. But you are never going to get. NAIA prospects ever again Uh, but to Sutton's point you have to go out to central Arkansas you can't pull everything up on huddle like you can today and track people down and find people you have to actually send people at that time I would I want to know how were they even able to find out about Pippen like how do you find out about a guy from central Arkansas in the middle of nowhere that's what I don't know and I'd like to know
2: there had to be some sort of connection between that yeah, university I'm, and that.
1: Not only that, but it's, you know, word of mouth. You you hear, oh, yeah. you know, guys talking about it. I mean, high school basketball and college basketball at that level, in those areas, probably about the only, like, sporting events you can watch viably. I mean, cable wasn't nearly as widespread as it was today. So it makes sense that more people would, would watch these games and talk about it and whatnot. But the the fact that it was able to get from this tiny university to every NBA franchise i mean everybody knew about this guy every NBA scout knew about him because he wouldn't have gone that high in the lottery if not but it's just astonishing how that news could spread to everybody like that
3: nowadays like we have these we have these high school athletes who are like so famous already like they have like 2 million followers like as, as a high school athlete and like they are are so like set and like they they know where they're they're trying to go to the NBA or whatever and people like NBA scouts know who these people are like sophomore junior year of high school and like it took time for him to develop like into an NBA prospect and like that's what's so amazing about it is like he was at this small school and he wasn't known and then he just blew up like I don't know how you grow that much first of all in like that sort of, you have to like feel yourself growing because that's insane and like the way that he got his name out there is like he can't just like post something on Twitter post a video like he has to be so good that people come to him and so like I mean it obviously like showed and it paid off for the Bulls in the long run
1: yeah I mean you look at today we have the AAU basketball camps the youth leagues the you know the special high school academies that are televised like IMG or La Luminere. I mean, you just don't have that kind of stuff in the 1980s. It just doesn't yeah. exist. So the the world of scouting has changed so immensely in a relatively short amount of time when you think about it. So it's, it is truly just mind-blowing how different the league and how different the front office workings have, have changed just in this short amount of time.
0: Did anybody else really like, I think it was part of the first episode when you have MJ knocking on all the doors and then all of a sudden they open up and he's the only one who magically had the mental fortitude not to do the drugs, not to smoke weed, whatever. That was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. I just thought that was funny because now you have everybody that was on that team explaining to their wives, children, whatever, trying to clear their own names if they're
3: watching that. Oh yeah,
2: that part the was traveling funny. coke circus. Yes, that what was so funny is every, they, as soon as that came on, everybody was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know, like they're probably like, oh Jesus, you know, like can't have this. Which is to, oh man, it was so. So. Yeah, just, I just couldn't imagine them sitting in their living room and turning their
3: wives or their kids saying, I wasn't a part of it. I didn't do it. Like, I wasn't, I didn't do anything bad. Like, or, or whatever. Or, said, there's, there's. Go
1: ahead. I, I was going to say, or somebody was saying, oh, no, I was, I was just a weed smoker in the corner. I wasn't the guy <laughs> doing cocaine or anything like that. I was, <laughs> I was just women. smoking some pot, you know, that kind of thing, because he, he did make the distinction. There were people doing lines and then there were people smoking weed. So you know. He didn't name names in that sense. So I guess he left
3: that door open for those guys.
0: Do you guys think, when we go back to the second episode, do you guys think that it was right for Kraus and for the Bulls upper management to have Jordan have those 14 minutes a game to really keep him on a minute's restriction? Because obviously you see how Jordan felt about it. But at least from my aspect, I can understand why Krauss is doing it. You're 30-52. and 52, Other than MJ, you are not going to win the title – uh, this is your franchise, and this is the guy who's put you back on the map. And this is a guy who, if he gets hurt, his career's over, and you are back to the dark ages of basketball. So, for me, at least, I can completely understand why Krause did it. I know why MJ obviously want to play everything that he's always done. You play to win the game, but by the same token, you have to look
3: at this from a larger perspective. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that first of all, the oh, fact that they made that thirty and fifty-two yeah. is insane. I mean, obviously they're the eight seed, so it's kind of like death right there whenever you go into the playoffs. But the fact that they made the that like that whole like him playing those fourteen minutes is like so important to their franchise. Like, if he would have gotten hurt in that, Kraus would have been like harassed more than anything, and he would have been trying to save the franchise. So, I mean, Jordan was being a little bit reckless there but he proved that he could play and he played as well as he could so
1: yeah I look at it as at least in my view I'm a Lions fan and last season Matthew Stafford got hurt he uh he was injured he was you know the the team wasn't going to do anything he was going to um he was projected to miss the rest of the season but he kept saying you know, in the late stretches of uh, of the season, when the Lions were eliminated from playoff contention, there was really no reason for him to play. He kept saying he wanted. He kept saying he wanted to come back and play. And at that point, it's just it's just a an act of pride, and I think that that can be detrimental to a player's <laughs> long term. Ability. I mean obviously that wasn't the case with Michael Jordan but yeah I, I definitely understand where Jerry Krause is coming from there because it makes a ton of sense for him to just sit out get the lottery pick and I get the mindset of saying oh well you got to play every game like you got to win but at the same time you got to think well what's the best for the franchise going forward and Michael Jordan playing and then making the playoffs was not the best the uh Bulls going forward it was like the Pistons making the playoffs two years ago or whatever or last year um when Blake Griffin was hurt there was no reason for them to make the playoffs they were going to get swept by the Milwaukee Bucks they weren't going to be able to compete they weren't going to win the series they sure as heck weren't going to win an NBA title but they just hurt their draft stock instead so I I, I totally hear Jerry Krause is coming from there and From a fan's perspective, I I think most fans would also agree with Jerry. But from a player's perspective, you know, he got to win every game and whatnot. I I I get it, but it just doesn't make as much sense to me.
0: Well, this isn't the proto. I mean, this isn't the prototypical Celtics team. This is a Celtics team with four Hall of Famers. As good as MJ is, you're not beating Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Bill Walton. You're going to need a lot more than just MJ to beat them. I mean, this is this is David versus Goliath, is what it amounts to. And there's no way that that Chicago goes in and wins that game. Jordan scores 49 first game, 63 the second game, and they still don't win. Kind of reminds me of Kimball Walker in Charlotte, who MJ is now the owner of. But no, I, 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 sure. I agree, McRae. There, there's, there's no way that I would have. I wouldn't even even played in 14 minutes because it's. Somebody's got to talk him down from the ledge. And at that point, you got to do what's best for the franchise and what's best for him. You know, he doesn't even know – they had no idea that he was even playing those pickup games at UNC. So at that point, after you figure out he's playing those pickup games at UNC, you got to realize that he doesn't maybe have his best future interest at heart, especially when you're that young. All you're focused on is getting better, and you can't see 5, 10, 15 years down the line. You are so focused on getting better now – and you are so process-oriented in this little bubble of time that you are utterly incapable of seeing the big picture.
1: Yeah, I, I think another thing that gave uh, Kraus a significant amount of pause was the injury history of another guy, another big man, who was playing on that Celtics team, Bill Walton. Uh, Bill Walton had his career severely hindered by uh, a a foot injury. I mean, the guy averaged 14 14 rebounds and 18 points a game before he got injured, and then afterwards, he was really just a shell of himself. I mean, a solid player, but not the Hall of Fame caliber guy that he was before the injury. So a foot injury, a broken foot, is nothing to be messed with. Uh, Just ask um, MSU um, small forward Joshua Lang. He's dealt with it for the last two years, so it's it's tough.
3: Can we talk about that golf match that MJ played with Danny Ainge like the day before the game? That was ridiculous. That was so funny. I couldn't believe he did that.
2: The craziest part to that was that he goes, "Hey, he goes, hey, tell your boy DJ, I got something for him." And then he scores what
3: sixty (laughs) three on him? Sixty three? Yeah. Oh my god! It was just
2: like, yo, what? Like, imagine like, like like an
3: amazing defender.
2: He was like, one of the best defenders in the league. Yeah, I know, Dennis Johnson. Imagine being um, Danny Ainge and MJ. Imagine, imagine in today's NBA two guys that are playing each other in a series, going and playing golf. And I, I saw some stuff on Twitter about, you know, one series between Barkley and when he was on the Rockets and MJ and how, like, him and MJ played 48 holes of golf in between two games in the NBA finals and which is crazy. And then, you know, Barkley didn't touch in the rest of the series. But um, it was just like, how like imagine in today's league, like two guys from competing teams in a series, like imagine Kawhi and LeBron, or let's say who are the, who did the Raptors beat in the finals? Um, the Warriors. Imagine like Curry and Kawhi going and playing golf in between series games which, I mean, granted, that could happen for all we know, but that's just, like, so crazy to me that... Yeah, but pe- people need
3: to shut up about the whole buddy-buddy thing that, like, it's been all over Twitter, the whole, like, people in today's time being so friendly with each other. Like, they were just as friendly back then. They just hated each other more on the court. Like, they yes. they played they play golf off the court or on the... They played golf together. Like, it just... That's, that's them being friends. And, I mean, if people are going to be friends in today's time, they don't... They, they shouldn't get... Hit for it. I
2: mean, they're gonna be friends,
0: and that's
2: how it is. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that one. It's, <clears throat> it's definitely like you know, I, I don't really guess I'm not know what I'm trying to say. It, it's just like they, I mean, Danny Ainge of all people, who was like a guy who would get in fist fights all the time back then, was like a, su- a super scrappy dude. I, mean, I can't believe that. The yeah, I can't believe him of all people would be playing golf with MJ. I figured maybe, you know, maybe, and not Bird for sure, but maybe like McHale or Parrish or something, but not, not Ames. That was super random to me. I was just like, why is Michael Jordan playing golf with Danny Age? I don't know if they got yeah. drafted in the same year or not, but yeah, that was super weird to me. I'm actually going to look that up.
1: It is also kind of funny how both Danny Ainge and Michael Jordan uh, have found themselves in major leadership positions in the NBA uh, post their playing careers. Danny Ainge, the GM of the Boston Celtics, and Michael Jordan, as Stern said, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, the not so successful Charlotte Hornets in that time, but. <laughs> Uh, Michael Jordan as the player is significantly better than Michael Jordan as the owner slash GM. I I will say that.
0: At at least from a Charlotte perspective, as someone from the area, as someone who's a fellow North Carolina native like MJ, when he bought that team, I figured they were going, he was going to resurrect the Bobcats and immediately put butts in seats because, when you look at the Hornets from the late 90s, you're talking Glenn Rice, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson, Baron Davis. They had players. They were winning 50, 55 games a year, and then they fold. They go to New Orleans. But I don't know if the, this series probably really isn't going to touch on much of him a, from a management perspective. But I wonder if a lot of his interactions with Krause, if he's the, he is the complete other way around. Kraus wants to lowball people, and MJ's other than Kemba wants to overpay everyone. But Tom, NKG, Cody Zeller. So part of me at least, as someone who is a Charlotte fan and someone who's seen him from that aspect, I wonder if his interactions with Kraus during his playing career made him say, I'm never going to be like that. I am never going to be the guy that lowballs my good players. I want to be the one who overpays my good players. And then, you know, you see. The problem with that approach, you're in salary camp purgatory for the next five years. Well, I was going to say,
1: I was going to say, why would you go out and pay your guys if you're not winning?
2: Exactly. You know
1: that that that's that's the big difference here between you know that Bulls team and this this Hornets team is the Hornets team is not winning. There's no reason to you know. Michael Carter I mean Michael Gilchrist a, a ton of money because I mean he, he's sure he's a good defensive player, but he's not locking down LeBron James. he's not you know locking down Jimmy Butler or Paul George. He's a solid defender against you know average players, but they decided to pay him a ton of money and that's that's the big problem with Michael Jordan as a as a as, a, as an owner is he's willing to dish out the money but he's not willing to dish out the money to guys who are winning games for him.
3: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I I mean, I was to go off that. I was going to say like, he's willing to pay Michael K. gilchrist Nicholas Batum, but he just won't pay Kemba. Like he's been the only good player he's hit on the entire, his entire like uh, GM career or owner career. And he won't pay him. And like, it's so hard to see your, your guys go out and be successful other places, whenever you won't pay him. Like, why would he not pay him? He's the only good player that they have. I mean, I understand, like, Kimbo might not be happy in the situation because he's not winning and he's not getting any good players. But, like, you have to pay your guys what they're worth. And Kimbo is one of those guys that's worth that money. And he just decided not to pay him, which was super dumb of him. But, I mean, that's a another conversation.
0: Well, and Jordan, the owner, also has a really, really bad draft record. I mean, you look at some of the picks that he's made and it makes you want to run your head through a door. Frank Kaminsky, the mid-first-round pick. Noah Vonley. Oh, what was that? Vonley, Vonley, was, one, was, it?
2: Vonley one was terrible.
0: Vonley was a – was he – was he, ninth? No, fourth. Yeah. Or, no, no, he was, he was ninth. He was ninth, yeah. Uh, Biamo was ninth. Cody Zeller was fourth. It's just it's, – it's been painful. It, it's painful to watch you, you, him as – because you see him as a player and you think that – for a debilitated basketball region from a professional sports aspect, such as Charlotte, that he's going to be able to go in there and do what he did in Chicago, rescuing middling basketball franchise. And it, it, it's not produced results. It has not produced results. The drafting's not been nearly as good. I mean, he, at least Jerry Cross was able to pick, you know, as Sutton said, at least Jerry Krause was able to pick a couple of really, really, really good players. But other than Kemba Walker and Devontae Graham, he hasn't really hit on any of his draft picks.
1: Well, you see, that's where the issue comes in with his mindset of you have to win at all costs. When it comes to running a franchise, that's not the case. You're going to make money either way. That's how professional sports leagues work, right? You you have uh, revenue sharing that allows franchises that don't win all the time to continue to make the same amount of money as these other teams. I mean. Ever since the 2011-2012 draft where the Bobcats went 7-59, and 59, the Hornets have been a very average franchise, right? They're not good. They're, well, average might even be a little bit too, too nice, but a very mediocre franchise. They're very middle of the road, right? They can go out there and they can beat anybody on any given night, but they can also get beat by anybody. And that's the problem where you have this mindset of, oh, we can't tank. We can't be really bad. We can't get this star player. The Bulls only got Michael Jordan because they were really bad. You don't get a Michael Jordan caliber player if you're picking ninth in the draft every year. It's just not going to happen. I mean, you can be the Milwaukee Bucks and you can be the uh, San Antonio Spurs picking Kawhi Leonard and Giannis Kumpo in the middle of the first round, and that's fine, but you don't get those guys every day. You, if you're going to be a really competitive team and build your team based on a high lottery picks – I mean, Scottie Pippen was the fifth pick, and Michael Jordan was the third pick. When was the last time the Hornets had a top five pick? Well, it was five, six years ago? And they didn't hit on them.
0: When they, burned out, when they burned out MKG, yeah. Well, Cody Zeller is a top five, too.
1: That was probably – And, and, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's just an antiquated way of running a basketball franchise, and that's where you see Michael Jordan's error in his, in his thought process, where as a, as a player, it makes a ton of sense to go out there and play your hardest every time and make sure you try to win the game. But as a GM and as, a, as, as an owner, it doesn't work so well.
2: Anybody, anybody else want
0: to chime in anybody else want to chime in
2: yeah, I, I don't have think... anything
3: else what, yeah, what? that's that's it on michael jordan as a gm that's all i got on michael jordan gm so
2: and that's
1: not even something we touched on in the documentary that was just a, a, a huge tangent um what was uh there was yeah. one other thing i wanted to touch on here uh in Let's the talk doc. about the
3: paris trip talk about the paris yes. trip so, yes that, I mean, yes yes for me whenever i was watching that it was just ridiculous every single person across the globe love for one loved the bulls or and and two like knew who michael jordan was and this was without phones this was without this is just newspapers and like very very bad tv like that's all it was and like the fact that he knew everything like everyone knew everything and everyone wanted like pictures with him and like the funny thing that i thought was like whenever the dude was like micing him up and then he like tried to slide him the piece of paper to get him to sign it and the his like guy behind him was like no 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 he can't do that That whenever he was in the tunnel before the game i thought that was so funny
1: well yeah in in the one interview the guy tried to uh get him to sign an autograph and he the look michael jordan gave him was just i i don't know maybe it's just me being a little biased towards michael jordan because I'm I'm still steadfast on LeBron James is is the greatest of all time and he's a he's a great guy and all this kind of stuff, but to me Michael Jordan just kind of seems arrogant and uh, in a sense entitled. Um, and I understand that as such a high-profile uh, athlete and such so as such a you know, international
0: superstar.
1: <laughs> out of your day design an audio to and I can do something like that and whatnot. But it's not like this guy's asking him to, you know, give him a thousand dollars. It's not like this guy's asking him to do a whole lot. I mean, you can say, oh well, you know, I signed something and then somebody went off and sold it. You can get all pissed off about that. But at the same time, most people don't do that. And it from my biased perspective, that isn't based on any factual information whatsoever. It just in my mind, that's not what happens. So I, I, I that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I guess, in that sense. Well, I also McCray, saw this.
3: When I wrote,
0: go ahead. I was going to say, McCray, to your point, though, you have to look – if you look outside of the documentary and the, lar- the larger scope of the man that is Michael Jordan, this is a guy who – I don't want to say he's had, has had some problems, but this is a guy who punched Steve Kerr in the face. This was a guy who – taunted bill cartwright this is a guy who like he's a reports. bully yeah there are there, 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 there have been you know and make of this what you will but there were multiple reports back in the day when he was with the wizards out of the washington post when he was making fun of kwame brown and you know make fun of him so much the kwame brown's crying in front of his teammates you know this is a sweet 19 year old kid that's had to fight for everything in his life so there have been multiple accounts of this guy when you talk about this win at all costs this isn't just him saying, you know, get your you-know-what in gear. This is him, like, like stuff that would not fly today, stuff that that, stuff that, that old records AD got fired for several years back, like those level of insults. And when you think about the media landscape then and the media landscape now, if you had LeBron punch somebody, if you had Anthony Davis punch somebody, you would get a completely different reaction than you did for MJ because MJ could do no wrong. In the eyes of America
2: at that time. I will say this, too. I mean, you look at – I mean, the closest example to someone being like that, I mean, it's Kobe Bryant, of course, you know, in today's landscape. Kobe Bryant would cuss his teammates out, you know. I mean, there's a video of him at practice cussing Jeremy Lin out and stuff, you know, telling me "Oh, he's soft, you know, just like cursing him out. And that's what's so – you know, I think MJ – did not I think MJ's biggest thing did not care at all what people thought of him and did not care I don't think he cared what people thought of him as a leader or anything because to him it was if you win it doesn't matter you know that was like the biggest thing I took away from that too about him you know yeah he insulted people and all these other things and like I'm not condoning you know I I thought some of the stuff he said to Kraus was just like you know like give it a break but you know, and, and then also like, yeah, he punched Steve Kerr in the face, but then they won three titles. Yeah, you know, I mean, like that kind of stuff happens in athletic. Like people get in fights at practice. People, that's the kind of stuff happens today too. I just don't, you know, obviously, you don't see or hear about it. I don't think.
1: Yeah, and also, oh, I well, I mean, it. when Bobby Portis punched Nikola Muritich in the face, he yes. you know, oh, yeah, that was a big was deal. Some yeah. some stuff that went down
2: there, but well, that t- well, they like traded both those guys. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Whenever I was watching SVP after he was interviewing Steve Kerr and like what Steve was talking about was the difference between Michael and like nowadays like his stars like Kevin Durant or Steph Curry was that they can that Michael could turn off the fame was like he could he could go home and like be away from it and be by himself and like the fame would stop but he said the difference nowadays is like Steph and like all those guys like have the social media like platform and they're just permanently famous and everyone's always seeing what they're doing and he said like that's what he thought like led to how Michael like the reason Michael acted because he was trying to he was living such like a double like trying to like appease the Bulls fans or whatever and then the opposite side like trying just to be in like a basketball player and just trying to be normal and I mean that's that's a difficult thing to do but like I think it's it's gotten harder to in today's time with everyone seeing exactly what you're doing. So,
1: yeah, no, I, that's, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, the visibility of people nowadays is is a thousand times higher than it was back then. I mean, now you don't have to worry about TV cameras. It's, you know, the cell phone that's sitting next to you. It's not, you know, the guy with the little press uh, press thing on his hat or, you know, uh, necklace on it's the, it, it's just a random kid. It's the random 12-year-old with a cell phone walking down the street right next to you. It, it, that's the thing that you have to worry about nowadays instead of, you know, a TV reporter, TMZ guy. So it, I, I, it's definitely, you know, a, a, a fair assessment there to say that that double standard is, is um, affecting how Michael would react to things.
2: Anything else? Is there anything else you guys would like to hit on, or I don't really have anything. I actually got class soon, so
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I McCray and Sutton, you guys got anything else? Uh,
1: no, I, I I think I've touched on what I I wanted to touch on, but uh, I, this was a, this was a lot of fun, and I look forward to doing it again real soon.
0: All right, guys, yeah, that was our first social night of round the last dance, a documentary. Chronicling the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls season in their quest for a sixth championship from Joe Dandrin, Alex McRae, and Sutton McGee. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns. We will hope to pump another one out for you guys very soon, but until then, have a great week.